You're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. Hey, Rent Roll Radio listeners, welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, Sterling Chapman. Today, we are joined by Mackenzie Great with Mac of All Trades. Mackenzie actually reached out to me on Instagram and she said she loved our show, but we needed more women on the show and I couldn't agree with her more. So I told her she needed to step up and come on and help fill help us fill the gap. So Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> so can you, t- do you go by Mackenzie or Kenzie? I know on your Instagram, it said Kenzie, but I see it says Mackenzie. Yeah. I go by it all. Mac, Kenzie, Kenzo, my friends from home call me Mo. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) Awesome. So uh, can you tell us your story, how you got into real estate, what you did before and what you're doing now? Sure. So I'm actually um, by daytime, as you can probably see here, I'm an assistant principal at a middle school in East New York. Um, Fun stuff, always an adventure for sure. Lots of stories there. Um, But in terms of real estate, I officially started investing back in 2017. Um, So long story short, I'm not from New York originally. I live here in Brooklyn. um, And like every other young person realized it was very expensive. And (laughs) the buy-in was probably going to be too hard for me. Where are you from originally? Um, Northern California. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so the buy-in was really high here in the city. So I decided to look outside the city and I came across this town called Kingston, New York, which is about 90 miles north of the city. Um, And just through research online, I was like, this looks like it has everything going for it. Um, And so I decided to go up there and look for houses. And I did. I went up there that first day. I didn't even own a car, mind you. I had never been to this town at all. I'd only like researched it online. Um, I didn't know a soul who lived there. Um, So I put in an offer on a single family house and it rented immediately. And um, that was kind of the start of the journey four years ago. (laughs) So how many are you up to today? So now I am closing on my eighth unit, um, which I've been taking it kind of slow, I'll be honest, just because I really want to make sure that I am building a house of bricks, not out of straw. (laughs) Absolutely. I can, uh, I can uh, empathize with the challenges associated with growing too fast. Um, It's, it, it, there's nothing wrong with taking your time. I, I made mistakes on my 40th property that I should not have made. I should have learned from my first one. But mm-hmm. I, I bought my 40th one too soon after my first one. So yeah. like I just so um I certainly encourage everyone to to take it slow. And you're very right in in assuming that you know you'll make less mistakes as you go because the 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 mistake you make on the first one, you'll learn from it before you make it seven more times. Um, yeah. That being said though, I'm definitely focusing on scaling up this year. Like this has been Um, So the other part of the challenge up there was I started investing pre-COVID, knowing that the market was already going strong. And then um, once COVID hit, like everyone from New York City moved up there. (laughs) Literally, it became, which was a blessing in disguise because I did have two vacancies at the time. Um, So they rented out for more than I anticipated. (laughs) But since then, it's definitely been very hard to find, I'm sure in most parts of the country as well, um, to find a good deal. So it's it's one of those things where this year, now that things are starting to, I wouldn't say settle down, but starting to balance out a little bit more, um, I'm I'm absolutely ready to buy some more. (laughs) So how are you finding your deals? 
So I'll be honest, most of mine have been on the MLS and that's not for a lack of trying otherwise. Like I do mailers, I do driving for dollars. Um, I, you know, ask anyone and everyone if they're interested in selling. Um, but I've just happened to find the deals on the MLS and they usually have something that is really deterring other people from buying them. Um, so like the first unit that I bought up there, the tenant who was living there at the time was absolutely challenging to show the place. She was, you know, I would say crazy. <laughs> um, so realtors like didn't even want to show the place. They were like, no, 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 no not that house. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we, we went in and I was like, we're doing it anyways, <laughs> you know, and it ended up being good because she already was planning on moving out. A lot of people didn't know that her lease was ending. She was buying another place. Um, so it wasn't like I would have to inherit her. Um, so it was like, okay, yes, it's going to be annoying to schedule the inspection. Yes, she's probably going to be around the property, but it's worth it if I'm going to get a good deal. I'll put up with that for <laughs> a few visits, you know. Um, yeah, and then in terms of other ones from the MLS, I find a lot of times that um, it's worked out where it's like, I usually buy in the winter when prices are down and less people are looking. Um, and I usually buy properties that pop back on the market for one reason or another, because then that tells me there's something about them that, um, Fell you know, through. exactly Fell through during the inspection period, Fell through the sellers are more motivated than ever. They just want to get it done and be out with it. Um, and yeah, I also find that a lot of times if people are unloading in the winter already, they are more motivated than in other seasons, especially here in the Northeast when there literally is like snow everywhere. So people aren't looking to move sure. or anything. Yeah, definitely. So how are you financing the, the properties? Yeah, the first ones were conventional. I would just save up 20%, do the overtime thing, um, anything that I got from the properties I would put into another account to kind of spiral it. Um, I'm starting to do hard money this, this time around on this duplex. And um, I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous only because it's something new. Uh, but I realized, you know, the more I was listening to podcasts this year, I was like, that's the next step. Like I can definitely, I said I was going to scale and I'm going to have to scale and um, that's a way to do it. So I've got a hard money lender who I love TMD capital out of uh, Massachusetts and Theo has been amazing and he's been helping me. He's been helping some of my clients because I'm also a real estate agent. Um, so it's, it's been a good process so far. <laughs> yeah, that is a, it's a hard jump to make. So I, uh, I, I was afraid to do it for a long time. So I, I, my first couple of houses I, I bought, I just put, you know, the down payment, like you said, and then, yep. and then I did some burrs, but it was, it was really like kind of a, a it was, it wasn't really like me doing the burrs because it was a, a little set of duplexes that I roped in a partner who was like, had experience flipping houses and had investors. So it was yeah. kind of like him, you know what I'm saying? I was leveraging my risk with him because he knew what Absolutely. he was doing. And then I kind of like, I went back and I bought some other things creatively, but I think I waited like a year before I was really like confident enough to take cash from a, a private money lender, go buy like a really distressed property, fix it up myself and see, yep. see it through the like whole burr process of getting appraised and then like the money coming back from the bank. And it stressed me out. Like it, it doesn't stress me out anymore, but like, it stressed me out for like the first like five. I'm like, oh my God, is it going to appraise? Oh my God, yep. am I going to find like some crazy thing that's going to cost me $20,000? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, it's, it's a nerve wracking process the first several times you go through it. 
totally is because it's also like the timeline is shortened, right? So if you're like a first time buyer, you, or at least up here in the Northeast, it takes probably 60 to 90 days to close on the house. So you have time to kind of like, you know, adjust and be like, okay, now I'm through that stage and on to the next. But when you do yeah. a, a hard money, it's like two weeks and you're closing, <laughs> you know? Um, but I realized this was a blessing in disguise because the other thing that I didn't know um, is you get better rates when you have experience. So now I have these properties with conventional loans um, you know, and while it was slow going to get those up and running, um, now I have this experience that looks really good on paper to hard money lenders. So they're giving me better rates, um, quicker, and they essentially trust me more, which I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> so, um, I love that you are an educator and also doing uh, a real estate. So I don't, I'm sure you probably already know who he is, but if you don't, I encourage you to follow Frank Patalona with the Cashflow Kings. Yes. Frank, <laughs> Frank was a teacher turned real estate agent turned real estate investor. He's a friend of mine. He's a super awesome dude. And um, he's the, he actually showed me how to set up Instagram. So oh, nice. <laughs> I, met, I, met Frank, I met Frank at uh, the Joe Fairless event uh, last year. Um and he, he goes, oh, yeah, man, I got like 10,000 followers on Instagram. You got to do it. Here, let me see your phone. I'll show you how to do it. And he set up my Instagram. Yep. It's funny you mention that because um, I'm a little iffy about Instagram. Like, I definitely love it. And I think it's important. And I've gotten great connections for, like, you know, growing and scaling my business up there. But as an educator, like, the kids definitely try and find me. You know what I mean? So I'm sure. like, I don't, you yeah. know, I've got to be walk that balance because also, I mean, I'm happy to share real estate and I definitely, you know, my teachers even come ask me and um, I'm happy to share whatever I know. But at the same time, I don't want kids thinking that I'm walking around, you know, just throwing hundred dollar bills everywhere. You know, I'm like, right. no, I'm still broke. <laughs> Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people, people don't understand how broke real estate investors are. Right. <laughs> we're like we're always broke because we're always getting our last pennies together to buy that next property yeah. you know <laughs> um, also my my brother is an assistant principal and oh, he, nice. yeah we have uh we partnered we partnered on several deals he's invested in several of my deals um so and and he loves it you know it works it, it's it's been great for for both of us so um and he's also like always trying to hide from the kids on with me you know i have a day job so i'm trying to hide from my employer on, yeah. on social media <laughs> I'm not as I'm not as worried about it as Instagram because I don't think my 56 year old boss has Instagram, but uh, but I like I kind of go I kind of go in and block everybody on Facebook. Um, yep, yep. And I just stay away from LinkedIn altogether because I've got hundreds of of coworkers on there. But um, so we. I'm glad that you're, you're making the move to the burrs to, cause that's, that's really, yeah. I mean, you can't, you just can't have any type of exponential growth trying to save up 20% every time. What, yeah. um, w what is your goal for the next year? You said this year, you really want to scale up. How do you plan on doing that? Yeah. So this year I plan to buy two more properties, investment properties, and then I plan to buy, um, some sort of property for me to stay in when I'm upstate, because right now what I've been doing is, I just closed on the fourplex. Uh, one of the units got renovated. Um, and while the project was happening, that's where I was crashing. So I'd like bring my air mattress, you know, and just sleep in the work site, which I loved by the way. Um, but that's kind of been the plan lately is, you know, I it's a joke that I have all these properties up there but I have nowhere to stay myself. <laughs> um, so I, I plan to at some point buy a fixer upper that I can live in and do like a fix and 
flip, um, you know, and then maybe Airbnb it out afterwards and go on to the next project, but something more permanent for me to stay in each weekend. Um, I'd like to get to 20 units uh, in a couple of years. That's, that's my goal um, for now. Hopefully, you know, I'll be able to do that. Um, but it's, it's one of those things too, where I, I want to make sure that I'm doing it right. You know what I mean? Like that, I feel like once you start to scale up, then you get excited to scale and I have to control myself and be like, no, make sure it's a really good deal. Just because I'm excited and I'm ready, I still have to make sure the numbers work how they need to work. You know. So let's talk about that. What does a really good deal look like to you? How did these, how much are you paying for these properties? How much do they rent for? How much are your notes on your final, your in financing? What are the numbers? Yeah. Well, it definitely varies depending upon whether it's a single family or a multifamily. Um, what I'm trying to do is to get at least $300 a door after all is said and done each month cash flow. Um, and in terms of a good deal, it's hard to say because some of them require two or three years. So for example, I bought this fourplex back in February. I bought it for, I'll just give you the numbers, 289. Um, there are four units. All of the people there were paying like 785. So that was one of the challenges of why it wasn't selling because it didn't look good on paper. Um, and, you know, we're in the moratorium, so you can't evict <laughs> at all. Um, so I went through and I met all of the tenants and spoke to them about, you know, the two-year plan it needs a new roof, it needs new windows, it needs, you know, a lot of work in each of the units, to be honest. Um, so I told them straight away that, you know, I would be raising the rent, still not to market value, but um, I would be raising it about $300 per unit. And here's why, and this is where the money's going. Um, and they all agreed because they know how difficult it is to find a rental up in, in the area that I'm at. Um, so I felt like that was a fair compromise. You know what I mean? I don't want to put sure. an added burden on anyone. I also gave them 90 days notice. So it wasn't, I mean, it's required if they've been there a long time. And all of these tenants had been there for four to nine years, I think was the longest wow. one. Um, so like they've clearly had a relationship with the older gentleman who was selling it. Um, you know, and I didn't want to come in and just be that young person that kicks everyone out and raises the rent. Um, so that, that was the plan. I was going to hold on to that for a year, not do anything. Then, it, you know, when people start moving out, start turning them over. Um, but one of the tenants actually gave their one month's notice. And at first I felt really bad. I was like, oh God, it's probably because of our conversation. Um, but the tenant downstairs, Timothy, he was just like, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's, um, he's, he's getting married. He has a kid, um, now, and you know, he just wants to essentially, um, relocate and buy a home. So I was like, oh, perfect. So that one unit then became available the very next month. So I went in there, I fixed it up and um, rented it out for $1,500. Um, so essentially doubling it from what it was before. Um, so yeah, and that's that's kind of the plan. You know what I mean? So like a good deal to me is if I, I can do that over the course of one or two years, it's going to be cash flowing a lot, but it doesn't look like a great deal the very first second. You know what I mean? It like takes yeah. a little bit of work to get it to where you need it to. Well, it's, a, it's a long game. Yeah, um, that's an insane deal. So uh, you found that on the MLS? I found it on the MLS. It was taken off the MLS because it went into contract and then they did the inspection and realized the roof needed to be done. You know, like a lot of work needed to be done. And all of the units like were um, pretty, I wouldn't say they were in terrible shape, but they were like definitely from the 50s. You know, like you could tell work hadn't been done since then. $1,500 a unit. That's, I mean, that's $6,000. Yeah. 
That's that's the plan. I only have one at that right now, <laughs> but hopefully I'll get all four of them eventually. But I will say all of the tenants are great. So, you know, I, I let them know, um, you know, each year it is going to go up moving forward. Because the other thing I realized as a landlord, you have a responsibility to keep up with maybe not exact market, but you need to raise your rents because a lot of people get in this situation tenants wise. And I know I was there once as a tenant too, where you have this amazing landlord who never raises the rent. You have a great relationship and then they go to sell the building and you realize, oh my gosh, I can't afford anything else because I've gotten so used to this cost of living. And suddenly there's no place available that's going to fit within that budget. Um, and that's a scary feeling. And I'm noticing even now as a realtor, when I go in with my clients who are looking to buy duplexes um, or fourplexes or whatever, that the, the first look is fear on the tenant's face because they're, they're paying well below and they have been paying well below for a long time. And they know there is nothing out there. If they get kicked out, not that you can right now, but you know what I mean? Like essentially that they're not going to be able to find something anywhere near their price range. So it's, it's definitely tough. No one likes raising rent. It doesn't feel good, but I think it's important that you kind of stay within a ballpark of the market value for, for the sake of your tenants, because heaven forbid, you know, something happens to you, your property has to get sold. They, it, it's a scary thing for them. Yeah, absolutely. I love how, um, how much you seem to care about your tenants. That's, that's a, 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 a rarity in this industry. So uh, it's, it's great that you're, you're out there um, given the, given the industry a, a different look. That's, um, that's awesome to hear your compassion and uh, around that. Um, when you say cash flow $300 a unit, do you walk us through kind of like, what, what exactly do you mean from cash flow? And, I, and, I, and I'll explain, I'll elaborate yeah. on the question. So, so like I, my first, I'll tell you, my first house, I, my note was um, 580 and I rented it out, or no, it was 560. And that was principal interest, insurance and taxes. And yeah. I rented it out for 1060. And I was like, hey, I'm cash flowing $500 a month. Everybody's <laughs> like, wow, $500 a month. That's crazy. Yeah. But in reality, right, we had maintenance issues, we had vacancy yeah. issues, and then I ultimately moved it to property management. So, like, it's really cash flowing like 150 bucks. Right. You know? right. So, so, when you say 300, I'm just curious what all that includes. Yeah. So, um, because I live down here in Brooklyn, I definitely have a property manager. So, it has to pay for that. Um, and my property manager's amazing. Um, it has to pay for, you know, all of everything that you're talking about, like, I have um, a fund for like major repairs that are going to happen over time. You anticipate like the roof needs to be replaced in 15 years. So I save a percentage of that each month and put it directly into a fund so that when that time comes, it's there. Um, you know, I, I don't pay any of on the single families. I don't pay any of the electricity or gas that's on them. But in the multifamilies, there is a landlord um, like you pay the hallway lighting and that sort of stuff. So you have yeah. to account for that. Um, same thing with the multifamilies, like you have to account for lawn care, whereas a single family, mm. you don't. Um, one surprise bill after I closed on my first one was water. <laughs> Having never owned a home and, you know, I own a spot in Brooklyn too, but it's a co-op, so you don't pay for the water. Um, so when that bill popped up out of nowhere, I was like, oh, okay, that, <laughs> I've got to factor that in. And we have to talk about like, you know, what ways we can be more water efficient on my rentals 
forward. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when I say pure cash flow, I'm talking about after all of those fees, I wanted to ideally, you know, in a perfect world, get to a place where it's at least cash flowing $300 as the unit. Um, and sometimes that'll happen, you know, in a year. Um, hopefully not too much more than that. I can, I can handle a few months of it not being, you know, exactly at the number that I want, but there has to be a plan to get there in a reasonable amount of time. Awesome. So how much do you, how much do you set aside when you're running those numbers? How much do you do for maintenance? How much do you do for CapEx? And how much yeah. do you do for like vacancy contingency? Is it based, is it a, a, a I've heard people say, oh, I'll do $200 a month. I've heard other people say, I'll do 5% a month. So like, what is, what is that number? What does that calculation look like for you? Yeah, for me, I do 5% um, for the vacancy. I do 5% for the CapEx and I do 5% for maintenance. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's all always enough usually <laughs> you know I mean, like sometimes you get surprises and you're like oh my god I'm gonna have to you know ante up a little bit more this month um but it, it tends to be fine because I'm not really honestly spending any of the cash flow like I'm putting that all into an account to then buy another property so if if that gets set back a couple of months yeah that sucks you know what I mean like okay I gotta replace right. the hot water heater and I wasn't quite to my savings goal yet um but but I definitely feel strongly that any investor should not um, buy an investment that pays out of pocket to start. You know what I mean? Like you need to make sure that it's it's cash flowing from the very beginning and that you've got a comfortable buffer zone. And that doesn't mean that you're not gonna have to pay something out of pocket, like maybe three months in because you're getting it up and running. Um, but ideally, you know, that happens less and less as you get more of an emergency fund built up, as you get more of these accounts built up. Um, you know, it should be, should be doing all the work for you ideally <laughs> if you're paying out of pocket for any of it um aside from like maybe your very first one and like you know within that first year you have an unforeseen cost um then it's, it's not really an investment you know it becomes more of a burden um even if it's only just here and there it's it's an added stress or it should be like something that is helping make your life easier absolutely absolutely so well, that that leads me to my next question what advice do you, what other advice do you have for somebody who's looking to get started? Somebody who's in your situation when you started, however many years ago, what advice do you have? What lessons have you learned that you feel like sharing? Yeah, I mean, a lot, <laughs> a lot of lessons that I've learned. Um, I think the main thing, and I would probably speak since since you already introduced uh, uh, how I reached out to you, I think I want to speak more to women um, because I feel like a lot of women are ready to get started because you, you hear about women investors, but not so much. What you really hear about is like couples, right? The girl's into design and the guy's going to handle all the construction and the numbers and the spreadsheets. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would say that no, you can do it on your own. Even if, so like I'm married, I have a great husband. He's not into real estate, but he's supportive, you know? Um, but as an investor, it's nerve wracking when you know your weaknesses, right? Like when you know that there's an area that you're less comfortable with, maybe it's bookkeeping, maybe it's the actual construction, whatever it is. Um, 
know that there, you can always find other people to add to your team that will help you with those areas of weakness. And it doesn't have to be your spouse. It doesn't have to be a family member. Um, there are just so many people out there who are willing to help. And you just have to ask, you know, Instagram has been amazing in that regard. Like I literally DM people who I see doing stuff and ask them questions and 99.99% of the time they are excited to talk and they have great advice and they're like, here's what I did in that situation or here's what I recommend. Um, so you can do it on your own. Don't wait for someone to give you permission or wait for someone to reassure you that you can do it. You'll figure it out as you go. Um, and just, just keep going. Don't give up. Each property gets easier. The first one's the hardest. Um, and the first new step at any level is the hardest. Like right now, I told you I'm doing the hard money thing and I'm like a little anxious, but I know it'll work out. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just, it's part of the process. So when you sent me that message, I actually went and looked at my, um, like my old episodes. Cause I feel like I have interviewed a lot of women and I feel like I've been like super impressed with a lot of rock star women who yeah. are very much doing it all on their own. Like, like you said, their husband just doesn't have any interest. I think about like, like, uh, Suni Rao, um, Anna Kelly. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's been a lot of really good, uh, women on the podcast and, and a lot of really great women in the industry that are not on my podcast. Um, that, uh, that there's, there's, there's so many people out there. You certainly don't need to ask permission from anybody to get started. And, and, and I, I don't think that men in any way have an advantage in this industry. I don't know why there tends to be more, but um, I certainly had like, you, I guess you think like traditional uh, gender roles and you think like, Oh, men are more into construction. I could not hang a door when I started. I mean, I'm like the most, construction like illiterate person there is um and and like you said there's you could hire somebody for pretty much anything yeah um so so there's really there shouldn't be any of those barriers of entry i would say um the only probably thing standing in anybody's way is there is the mindset and that you need yeah. to develop around well and i think women have a harder time putting themselves out there you know, like I think just as a society and we're, we're getting a lot better, but women are critical of themselves, you know, so it's like nerve wracking to be like, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this and I'm going <laughs> to, you know, um, I've definitely noticed that like in negotiation, sometimes, obviously I have a high pitch voice and I look like I'm 14. <laughs> so, so sometimes like initially people, you know, cannot take me seriously, but then as they get to know me over time, they're like, oh, wait, she is a serious buyer or, oh, yep, she does have some properties and she knows what she's doing. I think it's always that sort of initial um, putting yourself out there that can be intimidating sometimes. Um, but, but I think it's important that people just do it, whether you're a man or a woman, but women especially, just do it. I mean, <laughs> there's going to be some mean people out there who are going to say stuff, um, who might try and take advantage of you but once you realize that you're just like on to the next one you know there's there's enough good people out there um you know as long as you continue to look to find them and don't give up you're gonna get there absolutely um absolutely so i want to move over to our radio round a little bit um yeah. just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better and since you're a fan of the show i did not prep you for the question so if you get caught off guard we're gonna know you're not really a fan of the show um <laughs> So, uh, first question is what's your favorite book? 
So I actually wrote this down because I love this book. It is um, The Money, A Love Story by Kate Northrop. And essentially, I feel like it lays the groundwork, or at least for me, it laid the groundwork of even getting to a place with money where I was like, oh, I can get enough money to get into real estate. Um, I think looking at that relationship is really, really important because especially like even when scaling, like I tend to, I'm naturally a pessimist. I'm naturally of the scarcity mindset. I know I need to work on that. I keep working on it. I've come a long way, but there's always that fear of like, are you going to run out of money? Is is something going to, you know, is the whole house of cards going to collapse? Is this really happening or, you know, the more, the more properties you get, the better, it doesn't get any better. It gets worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you're like, oh my gosh, am I losing the mountain, of, the mountain of debt, the larger it is, the more yes. crushing it feels. Yes. And just like the, the paying the different ones each month and all of the bills. I feel like every time I open my email now, there's, there's a new bill that I have, which I knew, but it's still like, oh man, can yeah. there just be one day where I don't get an automatic announcement about paying something? So I have a, I have a great property manager and and I know you said you do too. And most people don't say that. And I've seen so many bad ones out there, but my property managers, the main thing, the main reason I think he's great is because he's a friend of mine that I trust. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the major thing with the property management is finding somebody you can trust because there's so many out there ripping people off. Um, But he would get in the habit uh, because we would talk every day before he managed my properties. And so he would get in the habit of calling me every day. Oh man, this broke at this property, this broke at this property. And I'm like, dude, quit telling me because like, <laughs> like I'm emotionally, like I, I, I get it. And at the end of the month, I'll see the bill and it's fine. But yep. I go, like, I turn it over to you because it, it puts me like on an emotional roller coaster, seeing that ding come through five times a day. So like, stop telling me about it. Let That's me just, so let me just take my medicine at the end of the month. And, yep. and Maybe I need to try around. that approach. Cause I'm the opposite. I'm like, Alec, what's going on over here? I, I heard there was a call. Tell me what's going on. And I'm like constantly falling. Maybe I'll let that go more as I, I get older. <laughs> but what you're saying about a good property manager is crucial. I had a bad property manager before. Um, I didn't know he was bad until like a year and a half into it. And then it was just like the first turnover and what should have taken one month, you know, turned into like three months. And I was like, okay, this this just can't happen. Um, So one other advice for newbies who are getting a property manager, I would actually get one with a full team, not a one man shop. Like they need to have a department that is specifically for maintenance. They need to have their bookkeeping department. um, Because if it's just one person who's promising to do it, it's when it gets really difficult during those turnover seasons or whatnot, you're not going to get it done as quickly as you need to. And time is money. (laughs) Absolutely. What is your favorite quote? Um, So recently it's been, everything is figure outable from Marie Forleo, because I do think that is true. And I think that helps with my anxiety sometimes because, you know, when you get that, that said call from the property manager and you're like, Oh God, I didn't even think that was going to happen. It's like, all right. We'll figure it out. It's no big deal. It'll work out. Yeah, everything <laughs> is figure outable, and the more times, the the more things you figure out, the the more like comfortable you get with everything is figure outable. Yep, definitely. <laughs> so, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Because it seems like you work a lot between school and real estate. 
Yes. Um, I have two adorable pugs, Toby and Kiwi. Um, so I like to take them to the park, although Toby likes to go more because he, he needs the exercise. Kiwi would prefer to sleep all day if she could. Um, so I try and do that every night, take a little Toby for a walk if the weather's nice. Um, I like to hang out with my husband, obviously. Um, Non-COVID times, I love to travel. Um, and then I do a lot of yoga. I, I have a great yoga studio that... I check in each week and they've just been amazing. So that's a good de-stressor. Awesome. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find out more about you and get in touch with you and fund your future deals and invest in yes. your, your deals? <laughs> um, definitely Instagram is where I'm probably most active and that's Mac of all trades NY. Um, so you can reach me there. And I also have a blog called Mac of all trades ny.com. And that's where I blog about all things, real estate design, um, even some money and investing sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And I'm, I definitely would love for people to reach out. I'm always looking to connect and help in any way I can. Awesome. And she's an educator. So those blogs are going to have excellent grammar. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> my husband actually does the editing because I have terrible grammar. And he's like, did you read this first? I was like, I thought so. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mackenzie, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on all your success so far. And I know you're going to just continue to blow it out of the water. So I'm looking forward to keeping up with the Mac of all trades and, um, <laughs> and, and following you on your success journey. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at Rent Roll Radio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at rentrollradio.com or sterling at crestwordcapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing. <laughs>